then there's absolutely no reason for the Unilevers and the Procter and Gambles um, of the world to continue doing what they're doing, which is making stuff that ends up in the bin. Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Silverwood. And our guest on the podcast today is the very inspiring Mike Smith, who is the founder of ZeroCo. ZeroCo are a relatively new Australian startup targeting the plastic problems associated with personal care and home cleaning products. These guys have developed a refillable, reusable solution and using lots of recycled content in their product line. So really exciting startup and really proving the power of the crowd when it comes to raising funds. They raised almost a quarter of a million Australian dollars to launch the business. They have since raised over $5 million in their first equity crowdfunding campaign, and they smashed records in doing so. They reached that $5 million target in seven hours, the fastest and the biggest equity crowdfunding campaign in Australia's history. They've got $6 million of additional VC investment from the likes of Kim Jackson and Scott Farquhar, who's the Atlassian co-founder. These guys are off to the races and already eyeing, scoping out how they can reach into the US and the European market. So he's a disruptor. Mike has got a lot of uh, things to say about the industry that he's trying to disrupt. And he's proving that a man on a mission with a great team and plenty of support and a really creative approach can achieve amazing things. Whilst I've got you guys, just a quick wrap up on obviously the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2021, which only revealed the results very recently in the start of November 2021. You can go to our website and check them all out. The winner, of course, Sea Forest from Tasmania in Australia with their remarkable solution to reducing methane emissions from the livestock industries by feeding them a seaweed called asparagopsis, which can reduce methane emissions by 90% with only a very small quantity. And of course, growing seaweed can help to sequester carbon and clean waterways as well. So what a remarkable solution. There is an episode of the podcast where we spoke with Sam Elson from Seaforest. So go and check that one out if you want to learn more about it. The first runner-up was Sathi from India, a really fantastic startup, and their pitch video was really one of the strongest ones to be submitted, showing that a waste byproduct of the banana industry, this banana fiber, can actually be turned into a wonderful material to make sanitary pads for women to make them highly accessible in India and all around the world. It supports farmers, it supports women, a really amazing social and environmental impact startup doing huge things. So congratulations, Sathi. And the second runner-up was Great Rat from Australia who are doing wonderful things in tackling the thin plastic film market. A lot of those plastic cling style films, they're all petroleum. These guys have actually found their way of using food waste from potatoes and other materials to make compostable and in future marine biodegradable cling films. So that'll be used across commercial and you know, home settings as well there. So a remarkable startup, doing great things. Well done, Julia and Geordie from that. We've got all the Spotlight Award winners. We've also got the HP Generation Impact Incubator winner, Emil Tho from SignSurf, a startup that is looking to use wood and other natural materials to create surfboards. The traditional surfboard industry is highly polluting, highly plasticized, and therefore petroleum-based. 
These guys have got some patent technology to create surfboards using hollow chambers that are very light, still perform really well with one twelfth of the amount of uh, waste that's created from a conventional surfboard. So can't wait to work with Emil uh, and the team at Science Surf to see how their startup can grow in the coming months and years. We had the second uh, runner-up of the Generation Impact was Curtis Kiaka from uh, Nurtured Co, looking at how they can scale and um, create new technologies to grow coral reefs, artificial reefs, using some really interesting stuff to help those corals uh, grow faster and attach to structures quicker as well. And the first runner-up was Sean Murray from Pleasant State with their own uh, example of how you can create a reusable, refillable system for home cleaning products as well. So much going on in the ocean impact innovation landscape globally. As we've just come through the COP26 summit in Glasgow, we all know there really is no time to waste when it comes to transforming the future and transforming the health of the ocean. So we are having a great time at OIO doing our bit to support and accelerate ocean startups. Thank you as always for being our wonderful supporters and I hope you enjoy this episode with Mike Smith, the founder of Zerico. Well, yeah, I guess I should say a big hello to the Zero Co community, um, Tim Silver from Ocean Impact Organization and OIO community, Mike Smith from Zero Co. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. <laughs> so we do these uh, Instagram live recordings of the Ocean Impact podcast, but it just gives a new audience uh, exposure. Obviously, you can catch this as a, as a podcast at a later stage, but this is fresh off the press live conversation, which... Um, Means we can't make too many mistakes there, Mike. You're feeling confident? Good, man. You know what I'm not feeling good about? How how strong your background game is compared to mine. Is that is that a real background or is that a is that a filter? Yeah, uh, it's the real deal. Yeah, just in my little <laughs> office here with a smattering of books and some plants. Oh, you're killing it. You're absolutely <laughs> killing. Well, again, let's just go and send people to your YouTube channels and your various stuff to go and see when you put your mind to your creativity. There's a pretty special stuff. So I just saw an example of a new video clip with Gautier's uh, <laughs> impression of the Zero Co song. How on earth did that come to be? Uh, I actually don't know the genesis of that idea. Um, <laughs> floating around for a while, um, thinking about doing like song parodies of like famous Australian songs. And it started with like John Farnham, You're the Voice, and then um john williamson rip rip woodchip and somehow like we just were throwing around for weeks and weeks and weeks and then we were like it's got to be goatier because it's got the epic video clip or whatever um and then one day we just said all right let's just go and do it so we literally just like on on the weekend on saturday just go, um put up a green screen um brought in a camera crew to the office and just we just shot it um you must epic. have so much fun you and the team and all those affiliated fans and your community with the the stuff that you're creating it just and that's one of the questions i had today was you know just what it is about getting quirky and getting fun with your communications and how that pays dividends with your community but let's go to the very beginning i was saying in the intro that you really are one of the most inspirational founders and entrepreneurs out there at the moment in australia and i dare say globally and particularly given that 
the business that you're um, you know building at the moment is so focused on the ocean. So we're going to call you an ocean impact startup, whether you like it or not. And you are you are shining bright, Mike. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you know your origin story as an entrepreneur and, and maybe lead into the the synthesis of of, of Zero Co. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been doing quite a few media things over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, we had a, a quite a successful crowdfunding campaign, which we'll probably get into later. Um, but a thing that I've been saying to everyone in the last few weeks is um, I feel like a bit of an overnight success 15 years in the making. That's how it often goes. Like I've, I've failed at so many things. And I've, this, is my, this is my third business, right? Um, I've had an outright failure for my first one where I spunked my life savings on, on a project. Um, I then went and built, you know, a, a multi-million dollar business that I was able to sell. Um, and, and, you know, now I've walked into, into Zeroco. So it's been a long and windy road um, that, you know, I've, I've made heaps of mistakes. I've, I've lost a bunch of money. I've lost my life savings before um, and had to kind of pick myself off, dust myself off and go again. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of my background is I've, I've been in the startup game for, for 15 years, um, learning through, you know, the best way, which is just doing and, and taking risks and putting all the chips in the middle of the table and trying stuff and failing and learning from it and trying again. Um, so that's kind Where of does my- that come from just quickly? Is that something which is a bit of your, you know, your DNA, a bit of a family backstory there to, to be that character that can give it a go and risk everything and fail and get back up and go again? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a really good question. Like, I think about that all the time. Where did that come from? Like, my parents are not entrepreneurs. Both my parents were public school teachers originally. Um, so it's, it definitely didn't come from, like, the genetics or whatever or even just the environment that I grew up in. Um, I don't know. I think I actually did a, I did a personality test the other day. My wife's been on this personality testing called 16 Personalities. I don't know if you've seen it. It's really interesting to do. Um, they're, they're crazy accurate. It's like a five-minute online test. And like for me, it was just black and white, exactly me. Um, and so my personality type is called the architect. Um, and, and basically people who have my personality type um, like building things. They like solving problems. Um, they like challenging the way things are done. Um, so I think it's just a function of I was just born this way. Like I, I don't think I actually did anything. Well, I obviously had a bunch of experiences that helped me get here, but I think there's just I, – I, there was a lottery of birth and I, I, I was born with a personality type that is, you know, inclined to do these types of things. So a bit of luck wow. and work, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm a, I'm a campaigner when it comes to those personality tests. I can't remember yeah. what the actual letters I am, but I'm a campaigner, which is no surprises as well. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how accurate those things are, right? Like I was blown away when I read mine. I was like, holy crap, you're like reading my brain right now. <laughs> okay, so you've done the startups, you've built, you've sold, you've lost, you've done it all, but then you choose the single-use plastics, household cleaning, personal care products. Give us that backstory. Like, why did you choose to go down the path of this particular fast-moving consumer good product range? Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your, your aha moments and, and how you then chose that particular market sector. Yeah, so. Um... Look, I guess straight up, I've said this a million times, I'm not a, uh, you know, a, an environmental warrior. Um, I, I don't really even have a, a long history of being that environmentally mindful, to be completely honest. Like, I, I just talk about myself as a regular guy. Um, and, and up until probably two years ago, I, I didn't really um, have any 
skin in the game and I wasn't super passionate about the plastic problem. Um, but I sold my previous business in 2019 and my now wife and I went on this big, crazy, epic trip around the world. We went, we were overseas like 18 months pre-COVID when you could do that stuff. Um, and we just went to like some of the most crazy far-flung places you can get to. We trekked along the border with Afghanistan and Tajikistan for a month. Um, we went to Kamchatka in the far northeast of Russia. Um, we went to North Korea. Like we went to some super crazy places and tried to get as far away from civilization as we can. And I was just blown away by the amount of plastic that I saw in these parts of the world where there's not really even humans, no one really goes to. And so it just got me thinking, you know, if, if there's this much plastic in these parts of the world where no one goes, proper wilderness, um, it just made me realize how crazy pervasive this problem is. And so I was kind of lucky in that, you know, I had this big, long amount of gestation time. But I, I literally probably spent the last six months of this trip walking around the wilderness, trekking, hiking with nothing to do. And I just started thinking really, really deeply about this problem. Um, came back to Australia and said, you know what, I I'm going to try and solve the plastic problem. That's what I'm going to try and do with the next phase of my life. I'm going to try and use the experiences that I've had in business and the things I've learned about scaling a company to now go after this big problem, which I felt at the time and still to this day, there's, people working on it, but nowhere near enough people working on it and doing stuff at big enough scale to try to solve the problem as quickly as it needs to be solved. Um, so I came back to Australia and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for this here. I'm going to put my life savings on the line again. I'm going to start a company and see if I can solve it. Um, and I was really kind of agnostic about the, um, the category that I was going to go into. Basically I said to myself, I want to build a business model that can do two things that can fund ocean cleanups and can stop single-use plastic being made in the first place. Um, and if I could, if I could do those two things, they're basically the two things we need to do to solve the plastic problem, right? And if I could build a business around those two things, um, then it would have a chance of scaling and solving the problem. So then I, I started spending a bunch of time in supermarkets because I thought, Let, let's go to the source of single-use plastic. Supermarkets is where it's at. Um, and I spent a couple of months like hanging out in supermarkets following people around, being a bit of a creep, watching what people were buying. And I just found myself being more and more drawn to the last couple of aisles in the supermarket, which is where, you know, personal care and home cleaning products live. And I just had an aha moment when I thought, this is such an unsexy category, right? Like OMO has been the same for 50 years. It looks the same, it smells the same, it does the same thing. Um, there's no less sexy product in the world than toilet cleaner, right? Like I just thought all of these super unsexy products, um, but those, those supermarket shelves are wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling, single-use plastic. So they're huge users of single-use plastic and there's been no innovation in the whole category for generations. So I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to try and innovate in this category, make Dunny Cleaner cool um, and stop single-use plastic at the same time, knowing nothing about any of this industry before so that's that's how it all came to be at what point then do you sort of looking at that that segment um that category and knowing that no, there is a lack of innovation like who do you go and consult with how much is gut instinct where do you then go to actually look at the opportunity with some level of detail and realize okay if we invest this and we target this we can actually do this did you consult a lot of people at that time or was it really your own personal journey at that stage? Yeah, so one of the things I, I, I deliberately did was I didn't go and talk to anyone in the industry. Um, and I still don't really have any people in the industry per se because 
I realized that the reason the industry is the way it is is because the people who have been working in this industry for decades, right? So there's no point going to talk to someone because if they had the ideas and the knowledge, they would have changed the game already. So it was kind of, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise, actually, that I had no experience whatsoever because I was able to come into this industry and just look at it with a fresh pair of eyes from an entrepreneur's business person's perspective and go, that's not cool. That can be done better. That sucks. That's good. We'll keep that and we'll add that and we'll do this. <clears throat> so kind of just a complete novice approach and just said, what are all the things that don't make sense? Um, what are all the things that do make sense? And let's bring stuff together. And so just everything was kind of created new, I guess, or from you know almost a, a completely inexperienced perspective, um, which enabled us to, I guess, do a lot of new things very quickly. Fantastic. Okay, so you've you've narrowed it down. You, you know this is the sweet spot. This is this is the place for you to go and invest a huge amount of energy for what you hope will be a remarkable success. What then leads you to the business model and realizing, I suppose, the opportunity with the crowd, which leads to crowdfunding to launch the business. Just talk us through that sort of assessment of what it would take to get that traction and to build that community, which would be the, the cornerstone of, of your business? Yeah, so um, one of the many kind of big insights that I had when I was wandering around the wilderness was that I don't believe that governments are going to solve the plastic problem, um, especially when you think about plastic in the oceans at scale globally. A lot of the plastic is in international waters, so governments are not going to solve the problem. Um, I think it's going to be challenging for not-for-profits, to, to get the scale to be able to solve the problem and have the innovation um, kind of ethos to solve the problem. And I don't think there's any incentive for big business to solve the problem. So my my belief here is that this the solution to the plastic problem is going to be solved by the people, a movement of the people. Um, so from day one, we've been very clear as a strategic approach that what we're actually trying to build here is not a company. We're trying to build a community of people who care about the planet, who want to be involved in the solution, who want to play their part and want to, you know, pass on a better world to their children, their grandchildren, um, future generations than they've received. So that sits at the absolute heart of everything that we are doing. We are building a community. And so it just made absolute sense to then go and invite the community to become part of the, the business from day one, right? Part of the movement, part of the mission. Um, so that led us to launching on launching a Kickstarter campaign. And, and you know, from day one, we I've worn my heart on my sleeve. Um, it's been a massive learning for me because I've never been the face of a company before. My other businesses, I was very much in the in the background. Um, but that's been really powerful, I think, for the community, for there to be a real person. And, you know, I've made heaps of mistakes and I, I own up to them straight away. Um, I celebrate the wins. I celebrate the losses. And I think just the, the level of transparency that we've tried to bring to the community and just make people realise we're, we're all just people and, you know, we don't have all the answers. We're making them up in real time. We're learning, we're testing, we're fuddling, we're muddling, we're making mistakes, we're having some wins, we're having some losses um, and just inviting people to be part of the journey, part of the mission, you know, help us solve the thing together. Um, so all of that stuff just, it made total sense to, to launch for our Kickstarter campaign and then as the business has grown, we've just kept the community right at the heart of everything that we do um, and, and it's just been awesome and heartwarming to see so many people um, from all walks of life join us and want to be part of the mission and, and help us basically it's, it's been really cool 
we'll talk a bit more about the crowd and you know your equity crowdfunding success story in a moment as well. But you know, a lot of entrepreneurs and founders listening to the podcast, um, just you know, a quick little blast from you on some simple things to think about, perhaps when you're launching a business using a platform like Kickstarter, using crowdfunding. Um, do you have some things that come to mind that are just things that you really should be thinking first and foremost before you even, you know, think this is the, the way forward for you? Yeah, I think, I think like if you think big picture strategy, um, lots of people pay lip service to the idea of building community. Lots of people say this is a community-based thing and we're all about the community, but they're not really. They just kind of say it and do it because they think it's good for marketing. Um, so I think if you are going to legitimately build a community-based organisation, it has to be about the community and you have to actually want to be part of the community. You've got to get on and do talks like this and you've got to answer the thousands of emails that come to you and you've got to take phone calls and you've got to meet up with people on weekends and you, you actually got to be part of the community. If you want to build a community, you've got to want to do that and be part of it. Um, so that's the first thing. And then I think just kind of tactically, executionally, um, lots of people that want to start a, launch a Kickstarter, they've got a product idea. And they just create a Kickstarter campaign and they turn it live and they wonder why it doesn't get hundreds of thousands of dollars of funding because you've got to do the work and you've got to build the community. Um, so like before we launched our Kickstarter campaign in 2019, um, we spent two months building a relationship with people. We had 20,000 people on our mailing list in that eight-week period um, and we were doing webinars and we we're doing emails every week and we, I was just introducing myself to complete strangers and saying, hey, I've got this idea I can't do it without you. I think you guys would like it and want to be a part of it. What do you say? Should we do it? And so I spent two months building a relationship with people before I then said, hey, we're going to launch it tomorrow. Um, I'd love you to come on and pre-order a box of our products to help us fund the first production run. So there's buying into the big level strategy stuff and actually being a community-based organization and then doing the hard work of being part of the community and building it organically and um, authentically, I guess. I suppose maybe the you know the, the lesson there for people is if if that's not you, if you're not a Mike Smith and you don't, if that doesn't light you up, then you're going to need to find people around you who can do that because there kind of is no other plan B to navigate around that. You need to do that. Yeah, totally. And and one of the big things for me is you've got to have thick skin, right? Um, I've I've had a couple of people fully come after me online in the last 18 months and like just published complete like lies about me and total fallacy um, stuff like fantasy imaginary stuff and, and it just I didn't realize at the time that that comes with the territory of putting yourself out there um, so you need to have thick skin and realize that like people are going to hate you for just the dumbest thing oh, I hate that guy's hair color or like I hate that guy's beard or like he's a liar, he's a crook, he's a criminal. It's just, you've got to have thick skin and know that's going to come and take the good with the bad and kind of brush off the bad stuff. I've, I've learned to ignore that, um, but that's part, of the, that's part of the game. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that because obviously, you know, some of that criticism would have been sort of squared at just how bold and ambitious those initial claims were. I mean, I guess you, you built the proposition of what the brand would become before you'd actually gone and produced anything, right? So those big claims about how you could build a supply chain based off ocean plastic and it would just be like this, you know, this model of perfection, which I think we all love the idea of that. But then you yep. do the crowdfunding campaign, you start going into the production, naturally you start to come up against all sorts of challenges. So maybe just yeah. give us a little bit of that story of 
what it went like from raising the money in the initial crowdfunding campaign. You've got the customers. They're waiting for their first box to arrive and you need to go and build the stuff. Yeah, totally. So the the crazy thing is COVID happened, right? So we 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 completed our Kickstarter campaign in November 2019. December we went to Indonesia, did our first ocean cleanup, pulled 500,000 water bottles worth of plastic out of the Java Sea. Came back to Australia January, February, COVID hit, and like we're trying to build a supply chain that had global partners. Um, and people, I think, forget now what the first few months of COVID were like. It was crazy end of the world meltdown stuff for anyone with a business who had international supply chains. Um, And so we'd been working with partners internationally who were saying, you know, your goods will be on a ship in eight weeks. And literally overnight it went to 27 weeks. And so our timeline for launch went from July to November very, very quickly. Um, We were working on building a piece of equipment uh, in China at the time, we were, we were planning to get on a plane and go there to oversee the final stage of building. That all got canned. Um, we ended up getting <coughs> burnt by the manufacturer in China, had to start the project again here in Australia. It was just, it felt like every day there was a new almost business ending problem that confronted us as a business. Um, but we, we just communicated all of this loud and clear to our customers and it was a real awesome, it was, it sucked on the one hand, um, but it was also really awesome in terms of building community because we just were like, hey, this is all, this is what's happening. And every week we'd give an update and it kind of just built the community even stronger because everyone realized, again, we're just people and we're just trying to solve this thing. Um, and at the end of it, we ended up delivering all of the goods um, six months late, but because we'd done such a good job of communicating and being honest with people, um, when the boxes finally arrived at people's doors, they were blown away that we actually were able to do this during COVID. Um, so, yeah, it was the first six months of COVID were probably the craziest six months of my life. I was on the phone at 3 a.m. with people in China and then 10 o'clock at night in, in Europe and then getting on a, in my car and driving down to Sydney and seeing manufacturers. It was, it was absolutely bonkers, but we got there. <laughs> got there. So tell us a little bit then about the you know the, the product range and, and the model itself then. So what you're up to about ten products now, four more coming out soon. Ambitions for many more. You've got global ambitions and plans in the pipeline. So just tell us a little bit about you know where you're at for those people. Not that there would be that many listening in, but uh, those who may not be fully familiar with your model yet. Yeah. So we launched ten products on day one, which everyone said, "Don't do that. That's crazy. It's never going to work." Um, in hindsight, it was the best thing to do because it just enabled us to have a big scale impact on the plastic problem straight away and, and have a role in lots of people's lives and lots of products in their homes. Um, so we have 10 products that we launched with. Uh, we are now pushing into personal care. So we're about to launch shampoo, conditioner, deodorant and body lotion. Um, we have just brought in the ex-global head of product at Aesop, 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 have you said um, to help us build out a, a skincare range. So we're, we're, we're going upstream, I guess, um, into things like facial cleansers, facial toners, makeup removers, um, face creams, uh, and then expanding out into all of the other personal care and home cleaning products that you could imagine, right? So um, toothpaste will be launching in a couple of months, um, you know, fabric softeners, stain removers. Um, basically, our goal is to have every product in the personal care home cleaning world um, that lives in your kitchen, laundry and bathroom 
available through zerocode.com.au, single-use plastic-free in about 12 months' time. So we're working on about 20 products at the moment. So we'll probably have 30 to 35 products in market by the end of next year. Amazing. Super awesome and super exciting. And so tell us a little bit about those ambitions from Australia to the world. Yeah, so we one of the one of the reasons, the significant reasons we went and raised um, thirteen million dollars, which we just closed a couple of weeks ago, was because we realised that the solution that we've come up with is globally unique. Um, there's lots of other companies around the world trying to solve the single-use plastic problem in the personal care and home cleaning category, um, but either doing it in very small verticals, you know, going after deodorant only. Um, or doing it in product formats that don't really work for people. Um, we, we've really like looked at the global market and said, we don't think there's anyone executing a solution um, to stopping single-use plastic in the home, but also funding ocean cleanups that is um, as elegant as ours and, and has the ability to scale across as many product um, categories as, as we are. So we're pretty bullish about our ability to go and build Zeroco in other markets. Um, Time will tell if that's true. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got plans to launch into North America and into Europe in, in the next 12 months. 2022, we want to be live in both of those markets. And we're going to go and do exactly what we did here. We're going to do Kickstarter. We're going to invite people to become part of the community. We're going to launch a bunch of products. 12 months later, we'll ask them to become shareholders. You know, everything we've done in Australia, we're going to go and do over there. We're going to do crazy cleanup stunts in Europe and in, and in North America. Um, just take everything we've done here and go and do it over there. And... We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it works. Is, is, is this trajectory that you've created, which I look at it on paper and it is so rapid and so impressive, is this kind of what you expected on this or is it, are you constantly surprised? I mean, and just to know that you're signing yourself up for months and years more of this energised <laughs> approach. I mean, is, is, are, you just, are you just lit up at the moment from the success of what you've experienced in the last 18 months? It's a little bit of A and a little little bit of B, right? Um, I, I would be disingenuous if I said to you I didn't expect this thing to be big um, because I thought when I came up with the idea it was a big idea and I thought that all of the experiences that I've had in business and personally have led me to this moment where I think I've got the ability to have a scalable impact on this problem. So I thought it was going to be big. Um, I didn't think it was going to go as quick and as big as it has. You know, we, we, we're doing a million bucks a month in sales now. We're not even a year old. We pulled almost a million water bottles worth of rubbish out of the ocean. Um, so it's, it's gone very, very quickly. You know, we've got 45,000 customers in Australia. Um, so I thought it was going to be big. I didn't think it was going to go as quickly as this. And then in terms of am I like amped and pumped? Yes. I'm also exhausted because it's been a crazy it's been two years now since I, you know, started working on this in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house, moved back in with mum and dad to save on rent because I put all my money in. Um, and it's because it's been a rocket ship, it, it's, there's been very little breathing space. Um, I took last week off, actually, because I was just like, I just need to get away and just sit on the beach for a week and surf and just chill. Um, so that was really good. So, yes, I'm super pumped and, like, thinking about trying to go and go to America or Canada or, or Europe next year or both of those places um, is super exciting. It's super daunting. It's super scary. But I think I'm just going to do what I did here and just say, you know what, I'm just going to give it a crack. going to be super transparent with everyone. I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve. And if it works, epic. If it doesn't, I'll just be able to say at least I gave it a shot. That's kind of my, my approach really. 
And I, I just want to sort of focus a little bit, I guess, on what gives you the the confidence and the ability to do that. I mean, you're mentioning the 45,000 customers and the million dollars plus monthly revenue and obviously this ability to then raise funds when you need funds. So mm. you've sort of got just the green... The, the the yellow green the green brick road in front of you right it's just pointing you in this direction of like well I don't need to slow down because this is just telling me to accelerate yeah hopefully that's hope like that's that's what that's what all the signs are pointing to right now um, hopefully that continues look I, I, I'm under no illusions that this is going to be a smooth road um, forever there's already been lots of turns and twists and bumps and potholes and whatever. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot, you know, I think we are massively, probably massively underestimating how much it's going to take to launch in America, how much it's going to take to launch in Europe um, and the toll that'll take on the business and everyone individually um, and the mistakes that we'll make. There's so many things that we, we think we're looking at everything, but we're probably looking like this about, you know, the US or whatever. Um, but I just think, fuck it, <laughs> like, let's give it a shot. The, the, we, the, the planet needs some big, bold solutions and ours might be it or it might be a little wave that builds into a bigger thing and pushes other companies in the right direction. It might turn the tides. Um, and so I'm, I don't know, I'm willing to put myself out there, put my reputation on the line and give it a crack. Yeah, and that really is so... It's, it's admirable, of course, and I can, I can blow all those you know glowing smoke rings your way, but... You know, we spoke a little bit before we jumped on the IG Live about Sam Elson from Seaforest. And it's also this sort of, it is a call to arms. I think this is probably what a lot of people listening in and in the current setting with COP26 going down in Glasgow, like how much more can we receive this knowledge about the dire predicament that we're in and that we don't have time that just then suddenly says, well... I'm, you know, I've got the time and I've got the inclination. I'm just going to go for this and try and be that change and create that change. Is, has that become, you know, you mentioned you're not a, a, a textbook environmentalist, but is that a, a, a bigger and bigger motivating factor to you, knowing that the, the sense of urgency out there around these big challenges? Definitely, definitely. Like I, I think about this every downtime I have, every moment I have. Um, I just think whether the world whether the, the people of the world want to acknowledge this or not, the, the, the absolute reality of the situation is we are running out of time to solve these problems. I don't want to get like doom and gloom, but we are. Like we, we need to solve these problems and you can stick your head in the sand and say they're not happening, um, but they are. And so we just need to move super quickly and um, we need lots and lots of people getting involved and we're going to, everyone's going to, make mistakes along the way because that's what happens when you try and innovate really quickly and we need to innovate quickly on all of these different problems we've got with the environment um, and we just need to go for it and and make mistakes and learn from them and support one another um, and and do it because you know like in, in a decade the world's going to be a very different place than what it is today if we don't make some big fundamental changes so that's what drives me to be honest with you um, a little bit of panic a little bit of fear of like we just we just don't have time to keep fucking around and debating this stuff. We just need mm. big solutions yesterday in the world. I sort of want to arc back to an earlier piece of the conversation when you were going and doing that uh, analysis of of the market of the category, and you know, looking at these multi-billion-dollar multinational companies, why couldn't they have figured out what you guys have figured out uh, off your own? 
hard work and determination. And maybe this is just a bit of a precursor to a chat there around, you know, what is the competitive landscape looking like? What is it looking like with the big guys now? I mean, they must be really intrigued at what you've been able to achieve and any hints that other people are moving faster on their own refill models to be a bit competitive with your, you know, with your segment? Yeah. Um, look, I, I've, I've kind of tried to take the approach here of never kind of talking down to anyone and never kind of pointing the finger. Um, but I was, I was having a chat with my dad actually a couple of days ago about, you know, where we've gotten to and, and the success we've had and how quick it's all happened. And, and he was, and he kind of said to me, you know, these big multinationals, they all need to hang their head in shame because they've known about this problem for 50 years and they've just kept doing it. Um, and and I've never really thought about it like that, but a, a little part of me kind of does go, you know what, you guys have got the resources to, to deal, to fix the problem. Um, you guys have created most of the problem by the way you've packaged your goods. Um, and, and at some point we do kind of need to go, look, guys, you need to take some responsibility for the impact you've had on the planet and you need to change. Uh, so, so one of the things that, that we're trying to do here is prove that a um, fully closed loop model is not just um, good for the planet, but is, is profitable and is scalable. Because if we can, as a little tiny company go, we can disrupt the market and we can prove that you can um, stop single-use plastic and find ocean cleanups and make money, then there's absolutely no reason for the Unilevers and the Procter & Gamble's um, of the world to continue doing what they're doing, which is making stuff that ends up in the bin. So that's the bigger grand goal here is that we can um, be enough of a pain in the ass to those big guys that they have to change their ways, basically. So true, mate. And I was just thinking, you know, we often talk about bottled water, you know, you're making your money on the liquid component, right? So even if these companies had or did embrace a refill model, their profits are still set because it's the it's the liquid component, which is the volume, which is going to create the revenue. So there really is not much money to be made in that OMO bottle, aside, yep. I guess, from the, the shelf space and the, and the branding. So you're right. They really do need to hang their head in shame because they haven't been able to innovate themselves around this problem, which has been so obvious for at least a couple of decades now. Yeah, totally. And and look, I think that they're going to be so slow to the party that it's going to really hurt their business. It's going to hurt their bottom line, and that's when they will change, right? Because they they're making token gestures. There's a lot of big brands out there making claims about what they're going to do by 2050 or 2070 or 3,482. Um, but a lot of it just feels so tokenistic um, and it is very small incremental change. And there's, there's also a lot of greenwashing that's going on with messaging around stuff. Um, and I think they're just trying to continue to hoodwink people, right? But the, the, the tide has turned and there are so many people now who want to be part of the solution, who realise there, there is a viable alternative. And the fact that, you know, Zero is one example of many companies in lots of industries that are trying to do the right thing by the planet. And as a result of that, you know, having success. And I think it's going to hurt the big guys' bottom line. And that's when they will change uh, when it's a financial imperative for them, which sucks, but that's, that's kind of how big business works, right? So if you've got 45 
thousand of their prospective customers, how many customers need to get lost to Zero Co and the others out there that are, are forging a, a better way of doing things? Is, is that something that you think about? Like how, how big does that market share need to deviate before they're going to start to act? So there's about 10 million households in Australia, right? <clears throat> I, I don't see why 1 million of those can't be Zero Co customers um, at some point in the future. And if we could get a million households to stop using single-use plastic, that's a pretty big signal to the big guys that, you know, your, your, your days are done, your model is dead. Yeah. So that, that's my big grandiose hope that one day we have a million customers in Australia. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, we, we spoke at the beginning about creativity and branding, but when it comes to the actual tactics to convert a million Zeroco customers, I think there's some really great lessons for people out there that are working on consumer product oriented ocean impact startups could learn from you. Like you have some, some tips and some, you know, disciple words of wisdom, <laughs> advice for people on the e-commerce front? Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting time in e-commerce now, right? Because I think we've come out of the golden era of performance marketing where Instagram and Facebook was really cheap and effective and scalable. Um, You know, with all of the privacy changes that Apple have brought in, Facebook has become a really inefficient um, advertising platform. So I think a lot of e-commerce brands that have been built in the last decade have been built off the back of Facebook and Google, essentially as their, as their core advertising platforms. And those days are pretty much numbered now. Um, so I think we're, we're almost moving back into a world pre a decade ago, which is where it was the world of big ideas um, and really smart media planning, not, not just relying on social media to get your word out there. Um, so I think that's going to be an interesting challenge for any business moving forward. Um, but I think for, you know, kind of sustainability, ocean impact, um, for purpose companies, it should always be everything you should you do should come back to the mission. So we, we put our mission right at the front of our business every day because um, that's why we exist, right? We are here to solve the plastic problem. We're not here to sell hand wash. Yeah, we like, you know, we make good hand wash and we spend a lot of time making sure the product's awesome, but we don't exist because we get, you know, excited about hand wash. We exist because we get excited about solving the plastic problem. So putting the, the mission forefront um, with everything you do is, is super critical. And I think like a big learning for me, as I talked about earlier, is this concept of radical transparency and just putting everything on the table. Because if you've got nothing to hide, then don't hide anything. And people massively respond to that because people trust you if you are trustworthy. And, and there's such a dearth of trustworthy companies in the world right now i think people are just sick of all the lies and the half truths and the you know putting lipstick on the pig that big companies do and when you just be honest with people um it pays massive dividends so that that would be my bits of advice for people in in the game great maybe before we we wrap things up we'll probably just chat for a few more minutes mike but um you know i wanted to get your sort of sense on on team like obviously you've you know, you've taken a lot of this on. You're a, you're a smart and savvy operator in yourself, but maybe to sort of chart a little bit of a path there around how you did bring others around your mission and your vision and how that has gone and, and maybe even a bit of a, 
uh, a sense of you know what you what challenges you set into the future and what your strategies will be as you grow into a, a much larger enterprise. Mm. It's a um, it's a bit of a cliche, right? But um, people who have built businesses always say the hardest thing is people, uh, and it's so, it's so true, right? Um, and I, I'm very much on a learning journey with this stuff because you know my previous business um, I had. 11 staff and so we've got 21 staff in zero code now in our first year so i've never actually managed a team this big before so i i'm i'm by no means an expert in in people and, and culture um but one of the things that i've realized early on is that you can't do everything yourself and if you want to have a, a big impact then you need to surround yourself with experts um so that was a big learning from my last business which i've tried to implement from day one here, which is go after the best people, hunt them down and convince them to come and join you. Um, and that's been a huge part of the success of Zerico has been, you know, the amazing people that we've been able to surround ourselves with to help us scale the company. Mm, yeah, that is amazing. And obviously, um, yeah, you need to be in that position, I suppose, to, you know, it's one thing to have them on your, on your vision board, but it's another thing to actually hunt them down and say, hey, how about you leave that company and, work for my startup which is just rattling tin cans you've got to have the means i guess to be able to to um to secure them as well yeah totally but also just like tenacity and passion and you know like if if you if you want to try and build a big awesome company um you need to be a salesperson essentially right you need to sell everyone you need to sell the media you need to sell the public and if you can't go and sell your vision to um, someone who's working in another company and convince them to come and work for you, then you're never going to be able to scale your business globally. So it's you just have to learn to be, you know, the the ultimate hustler, the ultimate salesperson, the ultimate, you know, inspiring person and convince people to stop what they're doing. Um, no matter how good their current situation is, you know, convince them that the world needs you to come and work on this big problem because um, we don't need really smart people working in banks and, you know, in everyday companies we need the smartest people in the world trying to solve these problems whether it's you know plastic whether it's carbon whatever they are we need the world's geniuses on in the environment um and so i think you've got to learn to do that if you're going to be a founder in the sustainability environmental space yeah which is exactly why we you know we find you so inspiring and why we wanted to have this conversation mike because at the end of the day we we succeed in the vision OIO by having founders, you know, start their journey, transition their journey, go out there and build those remarkable teams. And that's uh that's at the core of what we're here to do. So yeah, we're so thrilled to to be battling away down under with these ocean impact startups like yourselves and taking them to the world stage. And um we just wish you the best of success and I know you're going to achieve it, mate. It's just remarkable what you've, what you've achieved and what you will go on to achieve. Thank you so much, Tim. Very kind words. Probably, probably too kind, <laughs> but thank you. Appreciate All right, mate. Well, um, any closing words from you? Was there anything you wanted to t touch on today that we haven't had a chance to get to? Uh, no, I don't think. Um, everyone should get off Instagram right now and go and, go and get started on doing their thing, pursuing their passion and having an impact on the planet. <laughs> yes. Less scrolling, more change making. <laughs> totally. All right. Well, everyone enjoy your evening and uh, thanks again. Mike Smith from Zero Co. Uh, we'll be in touch soon and keep up the great work.
Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone who dropped in. All the best. Cheers, Tim.